you stumble into the next thing by being in it. What makes successful people get out of their stuckness? I think it's living their values. Hey everybody, welcome back to Tales from the Journey. I'm Stephanie Zamora and today I am so thrilled to be here with Jen Kemp, who is a absolutely brilliant marketing and brand strategist who I feel so blessed to have been connected with for the last decade and to be able to witness her journey and her growth and also learn from all of the amazing things that she puts out into the world. So Jen, thank you so much for being here. Stephanie, thank you for having me. Yeah, I would love if you could start by sharing just a little bit more about what it is that you do. Awesome. So, well, gosh, I do a lot of things. But what I mainly do is I'm here in the San Francisco Bay Area. I'm actually uh, talking to you, Stephanie, from our headquarters here called the HerQ. And uh, we help entrepreneurs get seen, heard, and paid more for who they are. And uh, we help them build brands online and offline. And then my second company, we help corporations build their teams to make a bigger brand impact with their communities. So we're busy. I my first job really in life is mom and wife. And so I have three kids age six to 24. And, um, you know, my husband is the self-proclaimed slay at home dad. And uh, we just make it work between our curcue here in the, the Bay Area and in Honolulu, Hawaii, which is our other place that our company operates out of and where I'm from. So yeah, uh -huh. that's what we do. Awesome. I would love if you could take us back to 2006 where you made a big leap and took a leap of faith in yourself and created your first business and tell us all about that. Yeah. Well, gosh, I can, one of the things I tell people when I tell this story is that if you would have asked me back in 2005, would I be interested in being an entrepreneur, owning my own business? My answer would have been no. I actually, my dreams at the time were, I wanted to ascend the corporate ladder and I wanted to show that an ambitious woman could rise through the rankings of the corporate world and make a big difference in that way. And I felt so strongly that I thought that was going to be my life path and the way that I was going to use the gifts that I was given to, you know, to, to, to play on the planet. And in 2005, I was up for a big promotion. Um, and this promotion had been told to me that I was definitely going to get because I had very wise words from a woman when I was 22. I had a mentor in my life, my first job, and she was 33 years old. She had two kids under three years old. She looked like she was happily married because whenever her husband would come around the office, they seemed to like each other. And I thought to myself, okay, that's, that's the job I want in 10 years. And so I asked her, what do I have to do to have your job and have your life? And she said, great question. Here's my answer. Take all the projects no one wants. Because as a woman, especially, that's the way you're going to rise up the rankings further, you know, faster. And so again, fast forward, I kind of dipped back. And then fast forward to 2005, I had been known as that project crusher, meaning in a good way. Um, somebody that the executives always called upon to lead big teams and be able to align 
teams and different personalities and frankly, politics and drama inside of the workplace and still be able to hit big goals. And so because of that, I did ascend. I took her advice and in 10 years, I rocketed up um, the corporate ladder very quickly. So I thought I was on my way until the day I thought I was going to get this promotion. And I found out after implementing one of the most profitable and frankly complex projects of the company I worked for uh, had ever had, I was passed up for this promotion by for, with for you know for the promotion from a male colleague of mine. And I just want to say because I always say this, I want to set the level straight. We are still great friends today. I don't blame him per se for what felt like a real violation of not just trust, but respect, you know? And he always teases me that he wishes he had my life now because he still works in, in companies. And I won't say his name because I don't want anybody to know how miserable he is. Um, but, you know, I realized in that moment, Stephanie, that, wow, I can get mad at the system. I can get mad at people, but ultimately what I'm really mad at is that I have no control over my own life. That's what I really needed to get honest with. And so I took the leap. I made a nine month plan to exit my job. I didn't quit in the huff and a puff. Like a lot of people, you know, I don't have the dramatic exit story of like, F you, I'm out of here kind of conversation. It was more like, okay, I realized that I have no control over my future, that I was frankly, I believe discriminated against because my colleague, he literally would play golf with our boss every weekend. And I was busy on the weekend working, implementing these projects. And so I was like, you know what? I got to change my life. And so, and I, and I barely saw my kids because I was working so much for this company. And so I made an IMAC plan to exit. I saved my paycheck for nine months, half of it. I only paid my expenses. People always ask me, how did you do it? I'm like, I literally lived on half my paycheck. Uh, and then I quit. And when I quit, I didn't have, all I had in the bank was half of my paycheck for nine months. I wasn't, I didn't come from like massive wealth. I came from very, what I call middle-class grateful, but middle-class beginnings. I didn't have any extra money in the bank. And, um, I opened a retail store chain. I actually only thought I was going to open one store. It turned into multiple locations. And that was from 2006 to 2008. And so that was my first journey out of the corporate world into entrepreneurship. Yeah. Uh, and a lot has happened since then, but that's the, that's how it started. Yeah, and it was incredibly successful right out of the gate. It was. It was. And I, I actually also like to tell people that's good and a bad thing. Because on one hand, I was like, wow, I made it. Because I went from making a very respectable salary as a corporate executive to having, you know, a multi-million dollar business in less than 18 months. And... I, I, I say this with not just humility, but also caution, because that actually worked against me. And here's how. Um, I was in retail, which had a lot of overhead and, you know, capital expense. And although we were doing great in 2006, 2007 came around, we started to feel a little bit of tension, but my, and my financial advisor told me, don't, um, don't expand anymore. Something's happening in the economy. We're starting to see um, issues. And I didn't listen to him, Stephanie. I, I actually defied my mentor's advice. And I said, look, if there's one thing I can bet on, 
I can bet on that I'm really good at finding a winning idea. And I'll work harder than any person in the game. And I still don't regret making that decision because it taught me so much now. But back then, when the economy crashed in 2008, and I literally went from on the highest of high to the lowest of low in my entire life, you know, I, 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 I spiraled into depression um, because I had lost my business completely. Two days before Christmas, I, all, my, all my assets were frozen by the U.S. government and by private law firms. Um, so I couldn't give my daughters Christmas presents, which really bothered me. I lost my marriage. It was already rocky going into that year. And I also lost my biggest mentor in life, which was my grandmother, all in the span of these 90 days. And you want to talk about like, on one hand, like my confidence had been so high and I was so proud of what I had com accomplished. And then I had the ultimate bitch slap in my face. Um, because this time it was nobody's fault at all, except for mine. Mm -hmm. And so it was, I always say to people, like, people like to hear like the, the surface level, um, successes and they were, it was successful for the time that it was successful. But I think that's part of the problem today, which messes up people mentally and spiritually around growing a business and being an entrepreneur is like, you hear only the success stories. Yeah. Or you even hear my story and might think, oh, I could leave my corporate job and be successful. And my answer is absolutely yes, I am proof that that's possible. But I also am proof that there was a lot I didn't know. And as a result of not knowing it, I fell into a trap, you know, that I had created myself. So that's what happened for me. Yeah. And it was quite a dark night of the soul. And that's one reason I really wanted to have you on, especially considering the times that we're in right now and a lot of entrepreneurs and everyone are really experiencing yeah. a lot of loss and a lot of change to what they thought was going to happen. And I would love if you could share a bit more about that dark time and what you felt and how it really affected you. Yeah. I mean, I became what I consider functionally homeless uh, after being shut out of my own house, my businesses, my bank accounts. Um, and so I had to, um, move back into my grandmother's house and then she died. And, um, the good news, there's always good news and bad news because there's both sides. I didn't see that back then, but now looking back, I can, um, I became catatonically depressed. Um, if you knew me, if you really knew me and you hung out with me you would never believe that I would sit on a porch. I live in the country in Hawaii. Now, Stephanie, I know you lived in Hawaii too. And I'm from the country. I'm from the North shore. It's called Wailua. It's where all the pineapple and sugar cane plantations were. My front yard was sugar cane. My backyard was sugar cane growing up. That town had not more than 4,000 people in it. It still doesn't. Um, and I talk about going back to my humble country roots and if you understood me, I always was like a fish out of water growing up. Like I was definitely a different human being. I used to wonder why God had like thrown me down in this little town because I couldn't understand. I never felt like I belonged, yeah. but I had to return there in order to get back on my feet. And I, w I just became catatonic. I, I literally, it's got to be at least for th three months straight. I barely ate. I had withered away to less than a hundred pounds and 
I'm not a tall person, but um, people thought I was on drugs. They like, they were worried about me. They were like, oh my God, she's on meth, you know? Um, and no, I just stopped eating. And I didn't even know like that I had stopped eating. I mean, when I look back at it and go, whoa, like depression, anxiety, any type of mental, not just disorder, but fatigue or stress, a lot of times it just hits us. Like, and especially if you were a functioning, and I again quote, like person, and then all of a sudden a big change happens in your life, a trauma, a, a change, a something, and you don't even realize how you physically fall apart, but everyone else yeah. can see it. And that was my experience. I, I, I would sit on the porch. I would watch the cars go by. I was catatonic. I subsisted on green tea and cigarettes. I started smoking. Okay. And I just stopped eating. And I had two young daughters, nine and four. And they, we all had to move into this old country house that was like almost 100 years old definitely no air conditioning. Okay. in the house, none of that. And I was like, we had gone from a really beautiful executive home with, you know, six bedrooms and all of that. And one day my daughter just came out after three months of really feeling like they had to take care of themselves. Cause they really did it. They did. Yeah. They had to take care of themselves. I, I, I don't know how they did. And I, to this day, I'm so grateful that they were like Michaela, my oldest was a little older, even though I had a guilt for so many years of putting that burden on her unknowingly. Um, she finally just came, she was sick of it, Stephanie. She came out and she put her hand on my shoulder and she said, mommy, you're Jen Kim. You know what to do. It's time to wake up now. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing for me. What I've noticed is like when people, you forget that people care about you. Yeah. You forget that. And it's not just the children, it's the adults. And I don't know. I can't even describe it. It felt like magic. Like when she put her hand on my shoulder and I just kind of, I just, my eyes, my, the aperture of my eyes shifted. I could see th yeah. things clearly again. And I looked at her and I just said, Oh my God, thank you. Thank you so much. And I promise you, mommy is going to figure this out. I'm going to figure this out and we're going to get through this. And she even said to me, she wasn't crying or anything. She was like, I know she was so assured. She yeah. was so confident in me. And, um, one of the things I say today to anybody who's not feeling confident in pursuing what their dreams are, I say to you, what my daughter said to me, like, basically, mommy, you can borrow my confidence in you. Yeah. And, um, I now kind of say the same thing. Like you can borrow my confidence in you because I see it. Uh, you just need somebody to see you, you know? And so that's what happened. And from that moment on, I didn't look back. I considered going back to a corporate job because my identity in the corporate world felt more respected than the entrepreneur because I felt like a failure. Even though I had done right. eight figures in business, I felt like a failure. But my soul told me, you had a taste of this. You know better. Go, go try again. And knees knocking, teeth chattering, butt clenching. <laughs> I really literally got out on the street and started knocking on doors. And, you know, that's how yeah. I started my consulting company. And the rest is kind of history from there. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I get goosebumps whenever I read about or hear you talk about your daughter saying that to you, because I had a very similar moment after my loss and trauma and rock bottom, a mentor calling me up one day and saying, okay, it's, it's time to, to get going again. Like you've mm -hmm. done the dark and twisty, you've been down and out and I get it and it's time to get started. And so I really resonate with that. 
Mm. And something that I talk a lot about from my own experience is how the fall is not the hard part. If you think that hitting rock bottom is the hard part. And goodness, is it hard and challenging and just destroys aspects of us. But the really challenging part of these journeys is making the choice to rise up and come back, making the choice to get out there and knock on those doors. And I would love if you could share more of your experience in that and where it was challenging and how you found the strength to push through that. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you. I Kindred spirits, you know, I agree with you fully that the hardest part is the ascent out of the darkness, right? Like you can see the light because somebody's shining it towards you. In the case, in your case, your mentor, in my case, my daughter. And now we have that opportunity to do it for so many other people. But going back to your question about, you know, how that was, yes, it was hard. <laughs> it felt, I had to get past my humiliation. You know, it's amazing what the ego will do to you. Um, and I believe ego is necessary for ambition. You have ambition on both sides of us. Like, uh, you know, you need a little bit of that. But when the ego overcomes you to the point of, again, wasting yourself away, not just physically, but your soul. The honest truth was the first thing I did even before knocking on doors. So let's talk about that is I got help. I got support medically. Um, I. I'm very transparent about that. I had, to be honest with you, I had a little bit of uh, judgment against like getting psychological support. I, it's not that I was, I had gotten it in the past for my bad marriage, like for the marriage that never worked out. But I, I was like, oh, I'm not, I don't have a mental problem. You know, I just have a, I just have a confidence problem. And the, the, the other thing that was happening that I didn't mention is that I couldn't sleep. I would go days and days without sleeping at all like I was wired and I talked to a friend who was like before you get out there you need to go see a shrink that's her words she's like you need to go to a psychiatrist too by the way you, I don't don't bother with a psychologist don't bother with a therapist don't bother with a holistic healer she's like you need to go get medical attention and I gotta tell you I was like Oh, it's not all that. It's not that dramatic. She's like, have you looked at yourself in the mirror? Do your jeans fit you? She's like, I bet they're falling off your body. You look like a bag of bones. She's like, you haven't slept. So since I was committed since Michaela, my daughter, put her hand on my shoulder, I said, fine, I'll do. I actually made this pact with God that was like, whatever the sign is, you're going to tell me, I'm just going to obey. <laughs> and I'm not an obey person. I'm more <laughs> of a, you know, and so, but I, I made that kind of packed. I was like, okay, yeah. you're sending people my way to help me and I need to be humble and take the advice. So I'm grateful because I'm not saying this is the, ch the choice for everyone, but for me, that signal, I took it. I had the best psychiatrist. She's retired now. I'm sorry, everyone. She's, she's retired. <laughs> her name was, her name is Dr. Suzanne Hammer. And, um, she straight up, I love her. She was like, she's cut from the same cloth as me. I get into her room. She's a medical doctor, you know, and she can dispense me medicine. And I tell her, okay, so I know I'm depressed. I know I have anxiety. I haven't slept for days. And I'm just telling her what she needs to do for me, right? And she's like, okay, Missy. <laughs> okay, and this is what you need to hear. You need to sleep. She goes, you know, most of the cure to... Um, any type of anxiety and depression and sleep, like yeah. you need to rest. And this is a little triggery for people. So I apologize in, in advance, but I got to say this. She even told me, she goes, you know, partly why people commit suicide 
they just want to sleep from the terror that they feel inside. And so she told me, I want you to sleep. And I was like, but I can't. She goes, I'm going to help you sleep. You're going to take these pills. And I got to tell you, Stephanie, I was like, I am not taking sleeping pills. I was all into like the Hollywood, the true Hollywood story. I'm like, I'm going to take them. I'm going to become addicted. You know, I I don't want to be that person. And she said, girl, stop being so dramatic. Like, (laughs) I'm going to give you five of these pills, not more than that. And you're going to take one every night. You're going to sleep for five days straight. And we're going to see you again, five days. And then we're going to talk about what's next from there. And I was like, okay, wait. So this person is telling me to take sleeping pills. That's what she's doing for me. I literally called my friend. I was like, so she told me I take sleeping pills. That's it. She's like, okay. So anyway, fast forward. I take the five. I slept for five days. I mean, not straight, but she's like, here's a good twos too. It's time released. So you're going to sleep for eight hours and you're going to feel refreshed every day. And then one now that your chemical your body is rested. Now we can determine what you need next. And I think my point here is, this is my story, but if any of you are seeking therapy, psychology, psychiatry, any, all of the above, feel free to, I now realize that the way she did it for me was so special because she gave me what I needed just next to get through a hurdle. And then she assessed me again and then next. And so I feel so strongly that as an entrepreneur, I think entrepreneurial trauma is a whole category of trauma, period. And that if you're seeking support from an expert therapist of some type, see if they do that for you. Because I have found that anybody who just wants to give you a pill, like she could have easily just given me Xanax. She could have easily said, you know, but she's like, let's just let you sleep first. Then you're going to get your hunger back. And then once you get your hunger back, then we'll see where your chemistry is and we'll talk about what you need next. And I love, no offense to Guy, uh, uh, therapist and whatnot, but I really feel because she was a woman, mm. she got it. Like she got me. And I think people are afraid to go to psychiatrists because what Western medicine has shown is they just prescribe whatever will cover up the pain. And so my advice is, and I know this was long-winded, but my advice is try to find somebody who will approach your health in that way and that your mental health is paramount. You know, we can't get anything done without without our mental health. And so that's really what happened for me. And I'm a huge... Uh, proponent for mental health support that it should be one of if you're an entrepreneur make it part of your business budget to have a therapist on call whatever can support you that's so critical and more and honestly I think it's more important than having a life coach I think it's hard to have a life coach and you still haven't released trauma like you're still not working on your past because coaching is about forward which is awesome I believe in both so it's like you need both So, but coaching without therapy and frankly, therapy, if you're an entrepreneur without some coaching forward, it's just not as effective. Um, But I especially think that if you don't have a therapist, but you only have a coach and you've never had a therapist, it's like you're trying to build on sinking sand. You know, you're trying to build on, you're trying to build an empire on a hollow ground, you know, and you just need to get full again for you and then you can build something epic and dreamy and amazing um so we just gotta have honest and we have to have good friends around us and good people around us that will give us that nudge and and support and love yeah 
I would love if you could speak to something that I hate about all the dark night of the soul and rising up and coming back stories. And even just entrepreneur success stories is we don't talk about how we get by when things are hard in terms of financially. I know for me, Mm -hmm. I had to make some very strategic financial decisions as my business was failing because I had PTSD. Mm -hmm. I had to decide what am I paying this month and what am I not? Like, where am I going to get money? And I had to borrow money at times. And I really had to lean on other people's support. Mm -hmm. So if you're willing, I'd love to hear during that time before you were really able to get back out there and start knocking on doors, how did you make ends meet? Yeah. Oh, such a great question. I had to borrow money too. That's what it came down to. You know, I'm, um, I'm Filipino. I come, I'm an Asian child of a tiger mom. Let's just be clear. My mother, she's one of the people I admire the most in the world. And at the same time, she drove me crazy growing up because <laughs> she had so many dreams for me. And my mom's biggest, one of her highest values is education because she didn't get a college degree and she's the hardest working person I know. In fact, she just retired and she's 70. And um, so she really poured a lot of her energy into me and my siblings to, you know, do something important in the world. And to her, important looked like working for the government. Like she, her dream for me was to get a government job. And I was like, I am not made for the government. Bad <laughs> things will happen if I work there. Um, and my point is, is that I felt controlled by her my whole life. And so when you try to control someone, what happens is the rebellion happens or secrets are, are kept. And part of the problem of you and me losing my business was I didn't want my mom to know that I was failing because she thought, oh, when I left the corporate world, which she, are, she thinks the corporate world is risky, okay? So when I left the corporate world to become an entrepreneur, there was, let's just put it this way, a lot of judgment on her part which she admits now, you know, but like she was basically told me, you know, you're crazy and you got two kids to feed, you know, you're being selfish. I was told all those things. And so when I was failing, I sure as heck didn't want my mom to know that I was failing. Um, but she was really the only person I could figure, think of like who would let me borrow money. Cause my mom, she's not rich, but my mom is a saver and she's responsible and she's, Anyway, so when I lost everything and I moved back into my grandmother's house, she still didn't know. She thought I chose to go there because my grandmother had died. I didn't even tell her that I lost my businesses. I was hiding all of it. So to answer your question, finally, in fact, one of the big back to trade-offs, I did not want to file for bankruptcy because of the shame of my mother. My financial advisor was like, I had already not listened to him one time. Second time, he was like, you need to liquidate everything. And she, he goes, this is why bankruptcy was created for moments like this. You are a high integrity person. You didn't like cheat people. You didn't do these things. He's like, so go ahead and get it done. So because the faster you liquidate, you can get back on your feet. I waited 13 months after that day that I got locked out. I should have filed for bankruptcy immediately, but I waited trying to figure out how to pay my bills and scrape by and super stressed. I maxed out on my credit cards to pay stupid debts that could have been, you know, I could have filed. I second time a charm. He, I didn't listen to him again, and all because of my mother. And it's not her fault, but it's because I didn't want her to find out because that would be the biggest embarrassment. Like me, um, and you know what? Actually, the God on the street. This, you know, what motivated me to do it is uh, my grandmother had willed me her house. 
So this mm-hmm. was like a gift. I don't like to think of it as like, obviously like my, I would prefer for her to be around because right. my grandmother was the most awesome human ever. But this is a house in Hawaii. It's old, but it had value. And um, I, the problem was, is because I was wrapped up in litigation and Stephanie, they were going to try to take that house. It was the last thing. And I was like, there's no effing way. My grandmother immigrated from the Philippines as an indentured servant, made 30 cents an hour working in the pineapple fields for me to screw up and have the house she and my grandfather built with their own two hands taken away. I was like, there's no freaking way that's happening. So I had to, I had to woman up and I had to say, I can't pay for this mortgage because there was a second mortgage on it that, so there was all these things. Anyway, finally I just had to make that phone call to my mom. And the crazy thing is, Stephanie, the moment I said, this is what's happening through all my tears and blubbering because I was like a hot mess. (laughs) My mom simply said, how much do you need? And it actually gets me a little, uh, it gets me emotional because so many times we judge other people. And what they're really trying to do is protect us. In my case, my mother, like she's trimmed freaking bananas. I'm like, mother, you know, it it felt like I could do no right. But what she was really doing is she was just trying to protect me from the world. And, but the minute I needed her, she said, how much do you need? The funny thing is I asked for the minimum. I was like, I just need 5,000 to get me through this month. And she's like, okay. And she transferred it. And I took that $5,000. I filed for bankruptcy, which was really hard. And I told my mom and she was like, if, it's so funny. She didn't judge me. She said, if your financial advisor thinks that's the best choice, Jen, do it. And I was like, I'm going to be ruined. My credit's going to be ruined for 10 years. I'm, I'm an embarrassment to the family. Like Asians were good with money. <laughs> like I had all these like, stories, you know? And, and, um, and she said, one thing I really learned from mom is like, she's like, if you trust your advisor, why aren't you following his directions? I said, honestly, I'm just trying to please you. And I, and of course we got into a little argument because she was like, so now it's my fault. And I'm like, no, it's not your fault, but this is what I'm processing. You know, right. this is the thing, that's the trauma that comes up and makes decisions for you. When trauma starts making decisions for you, that's when you start busting up your life, right? And so to answer your question, I took that 5,000, um, I filed for bankruptcy, and that's what gave me some of that peace of mind for a moment to get enough energy to start knocking on doors. Uh, yeah. Because, you know, I always tell people, I have been poor and I have been rich, and rich feels better, okay? Uh, <laughs> But poor, poor, really, it can be a catalyst. If you just even give a millimeter of courage of telling people that you you don't have the answer anymore. I've always felt my whole life like I needed to have the answer or else I wasn't qualified to live. And that moment in my life, 2008 to 2009 was a, Wow, like back to dark night of the soul, that dark night of the soul woke me up to all the things that didn't serve me, that I didn't need to hold on to anymore, that the only person judging me was myself. And and so even during these times, just to round that out, I get where people are feeling this way. And I felt really, there's been moments of trigger big time for me this year, especially from that old story around the economics. I found myself getting very nervous in March when it all went down and I realized, okay, trauma's talking to me, but the gem that knows better 
that got what got through it knows there's a way through it. And I needed to remind myself that the gratitude I had of having that moment in my life um, and many moments like that in the past 12 years, that's not just like, oh, all of a sudden I became like, I've had to confront my shit. Like, you know, that's, that's the thing, but that's where you have the most growth. So. Yeah, absolutely. I get goosebumps through so much of your story because I can relate to so much of it. I was so stubborn about filing bankruptcy myself. Like I waited about a year and a half until it was, I was starting to make money again, but there was still no way at that point I could get back on top of that debt. And my guy was like, you need to, if you're going to file, you need to do it now. (laughs) It was so hard for me. Oh, especially for women. I think that, you know, what's interesting about, I mean, because it's, integrity is so important to me. And it's why I judge who's the president of the United States right now. Because what's interesting is, I would say overall, men, just as a generalization, I know it's not true of all, they will take those financial moves and go, it is what it is, and we're going to move out. There's another solution. I think women, as a generalization, for those, I love that we know each other and that you've, there's many like us. That's, 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 that's why your podcast is also so important that have this feeling of like, because we have to carry so much that making that decision will ruin us. And the truth is, is it's a way out. It's a salt. It's a solution. It, I, I still stand by, I don't think it's the first thing you do. I think it's like, let's think about it. What are the other options? But the moment you realize that unless you liquidate, um, there's no way you're going to come out of it. Then it's actually an adult decision not a wounded child decision, right, to make. But you need people around you who would be like, it's okay, you know? Um, (laughs) I needed my mom. I didn't listen to the guy financial advisor who was a guy, back to like, he's like, people do this all the time. I actually remember him saying to me, Donald Trump has done this tons of times. This was back in 2008. He was telling me, he's like, that's how he got rich. Don't you know that? And back then I admired (laughs) DT's... The Apprentice was on, you know, on TV, right? And like everybody dug him and it was like, okay, he's this hero, (laughs) this financial hero. And he literally said, that's how DT got out. And I was like, oh, that's when he started taking it seriously. (laughs) Isn't that crazy how we default to bullshit? It chips me out. Like I'm just like, you know, uh, so women, we just need to honor our, our knowing. And yeah. also trust people who have proven that we can trust them, yeah. you know, especially when it comes to financial matters. So absolutely. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that we talk a lot about on this podcast and in journey mapping, the work that I do is this idea of reorienting. So you went through this pretty sudden, big traumatic loss. And you're right that business trauma is a trauma of its own for sure. And it has its own residual impact. And then the loss of your grandmother and going through that fog for a few months and then beginning to really work on your mental health again. What was it like to get to know the new Gen Kim while you're still trying to pull yourself out? Yeah, wow, that's a great question. (sighs) What I was really trying to be mindful of with the guidance of Dr. Hammer, who I mentioned earlier, was she said, you know, I want you to practice awareness of yourself. You know, you're so busy moving to the next thing, you know, 
solving the next problem. That the moment that you feel, you're starting to feel in your body again, as she would say, I want you to keep connecting your body to your mind. Like, don't let them separate from each other. Just And, and I would go, what does that mean? You know, and she said, just ask yourself the question. Is my mind separate from my body right now? She said, ask that simple question and you'll bring back an awareness. And it was such good advice because what I observed about Gen Chem as I was navigating that season, that kind of like aftermath season, which still felt unpredictable, uncertain. Um, I was, again, my ego and my confidence were still being challenged. Um, I would just ask that question when I felt like I was out of sorts. I would just go, is my mind and my body connected right now? And it was either a simple yes or no. She also said, don't, there's no such thing as maybe, which I've taken to today, even the way that I consult and teach is she goes, maybe is purgatory. Maybe is the place where we doubt ourselves. She said, I want you to get comfortable with no. I want you to get comfortable with yes and no, and that's it. And that whatever you decide that you trusted yourself to say yes or no, and you can't be wrong. That's what she says. She says you, there is nothing that we do that can be wrong. Um, there may be consequences, which we learned in 2008. I learned in 2008, but boy, if that wouldn't happen, I don't know if my life would be as rich and amazing as it is now because I chose better in terms of a partner relationship. I chose back into my family uh, because prior to that, prior to that happening, I was really an absentee mom. I thought I was a good mom by like paying for their education and dropping them off at school. But did I pay much attention to my kids when I look back? No, but the moment all this happened, all of a sudden I became this present mom and I still found a way to be Gen Chem, ambitious Gen Chem. And so my point is, is like, I think just knowing awareness, it's like presence. Um, I'm here and I get to make a decision right now every single day to, I get to choose being here. I get to choose the people I love. I get to choose. Um, and it's not easy though. It's, 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 that's why there's such things as, as addictions. You know, as I said, I got addicted to cigarettes. I, you know, I got addicted to shopping, spending money. Um, and I love shopping and I'm not judging people who do whatever. All I'm saying is that if you're addicted to anything, usually it's because you're not confronting. I like to say care fronting, you know, care fronting what you need to care front about yourself. Um, so, yeah. Awesome. I would love if you could talk about, so I know I've read this. I think it's still on your website. You talk a lot about the getting back out there and the knocking on doors and how you faced a lot of rejection and a lot of judgment and a lot of pushback. And you mentioned choice just now, and, and that's something that I think is so key. I talk about it all the time. Like choice is our greatest power and it takes so much choice to really rise up and come back and step into what's next and really be who we're here to be. And I would imagine it took a great deal of choice to continue when there was all of this rejection and all of this pushback, but I'd love if you could share more about that part of your process, really getting back out there. Yeah. 
for sure. I mean, I was rejection sucks. Is that's I mean, that's the bottom line. It, it sucks, and I had to tap into my values in order to align very uncomfortable action with my dreams. And so today I actually have a framework called being values driven and how that, that this is my leadership of self method that I coined and created from that moment in my life. So I just want to talk about that for a moment because it leads to what got me through the rejection. But I didn't, I couldn't answer your question is my point, Stephanie, if you would have asked me back then, I would have been like, I honestly don't know how I'm doing it. Like I'm super scared. Um, I hate rejection. Um, I don't know how I'm doing it. That would have been my answer in 2009. My answer in 2020, as we talk right now is I became values driven. And how I became values driven instead of results driven is through the work with Dr. Hammer, I started to back to the awareness piece of it. I started to ask myself, how did I, let's like carve out what are the ingredients of who Gen Chem was as a successful corporate executive? What were the ingredients of Gen Chem as the successful business owner? And then what were also the ingredients of when I didn't do things well in the corporate world? And what were the ingredients that I didn't do well as a business owner? And I took a step back through the work with Dr. Hammer and started really writing down and then looking at it and going, okay, what is this? And I started to realize there were three main themes. One was I was very motivated by violation. So what had violated things in my life? Because then I took like everything before that, whether it was like, um, you know, my mom telling me who I should be, that's a violation. I started to kind of like, look at that. Then I realized after looking at everything, I was like, well, there's also a second thing called voids where I was like, oh, avoiding my life. Like I didn't have a relationship that felt good. I always like of the four areas of life that are important to all humans generally, which is relationships, wealth, health, and self, like spirituality or relationship to God or whatever the belief system is, right? These four areas. The weakest part of my life felt relationships. I felt like I always chose the wrong dude. Like it was like the thing that I wasn't good at. And that even when I got married, no offense to my ex-husband, he's a good person, but I chose somebody I even knew consciously was not a fit for me because I need to prove something. And so I started looking at that and going, Oh, one of my biggest voids is relationships with, with men in my case. Right. So I identified that, okay, that's causing problems in my confidence. And then the third piece was my vision. So there's violations, voice and vision. And my vision was I had this, like, I always tell people like, what's so funny is people always think of me as this I am a futurist, so I can see what's going to happen in the marketplace. But for my own life, I actually keep things pretty simple. Like, oh, I, these, this is kind of my vision. And it was stunted a bit. And I go, oh, I'm not willing, I'm willing to speak about vision for a big company or a colleague or a friend. But for myself, I kept my vision stunted. And I realized that these three pillars, vision, violations, and voids, 
Well, what really made up the values that I held in my life? And my life reflected what my current values were. That's why I had failed because I was living, it made sense. It actually was predictable because I made, I just started piecing this together because I got super curious about it. Like I, and I am that person. I always was a curious human being. And I was like, why, why do I keep stepping into this pile of shit? And also why do I get to a certain point And then I sabotage myself. Why am I doing this? You know? And so I got curious. So I came up with this framework. And I didn't call it that back then, but now I do. In fact, I'm writing a book on it. And um, because that's what got me, when I figured that out, that's what got me motivated to knock on doors. Because I was like, wait a minute. At the time, my highest value was family. And um, I was like, I need to link these uncomfortable actions with my desire to still provide and be present with my family. That's why. Okay. So Stephanie, I don't know if you heard this part of my story, but I, I was knocking on all these doors and I was missing the most obvious freaking thing, which was I could literally go back to my former employer and say, I was available for consulting work. And when I figured that out and went to them, they were thrilled. They were like, Oh my God, you're available. Yes. We want to hire you. And I said, oh, no, but I don't want to be an employee because I still wanted to control my time. Yeah. And I said, I can give you, you know, 20 hours a week and I want to make this much. And it was about the same as what I was making as an employee, as an executive. And they just said yes. And I'm not saying it could be that easy for most people. All I'm saying is that it was actually the one thing I was like, oh, no. But I realized that that was my ego talking like, oh, I don't want to go back to them and make them think that I need something from them. But the minute that I figured it out, um, it all changed and it caused this ripple effect going forward. And I think you stumble. I love that you do this thing called journey mapping. You stumble into the next thing by being in it, you know, uh, and what makes successful people get out of their stuckness. I think it's living their values. Like that's what it comes down to for me. Um, that's my, that's what I came up with. Um, there are a lot of ways you can get unstuck, but the why that's what it, I was like, I wanted to know why, and that's my why. Yeah, it's beautiful. And it's our way of being in the world is so powerful. And that took me a long time to understand that it's not so much about what we're doing, but doing is influenced by who we're being in the world. And so if we can change our context, which I feel like is what the tapping into your values and really understanding them and aligning with them, it shifts our context and how we engage with the world and then the way that we carry ourselves mm, and how we yeah. engage with life and other people and everything influences our actions and it allows us to create results that previously would have been impossible. So I love that you shared that. And I would just love if you could share, I mean, you have built such a beautiful, powerful company that I feel like you all are putting out such important content. And one of the things that I love about you, and I love that you talked about feeling like you've always been different, like you've always been out of place. I feel like that is what makes you so brilliant at what you do, at least one part of it, because at, like the way that you language things, the way that you position them, the way that you speak to people is so different than anyone else in the industry that I've seen. Well, thank and you. <laughs> I think it's, it's amazing. But I'd love if you could talk about how you built this new company, one that is has a higher profit margin than your previous company, 
and how your values have really influenced that and just yeah, what it took. Yeah. Well, I think back to getting honest about my values. And I think that anyone listening now, you can do a little exercise around, do you know your vision? Can you identify the voids and the violations in your life? And some of that stuff you'll need tissues and someone possibly to hold your hand because some of it's going to be very triggery. And I encourage you, if you need extra support, get it. But just taking that exercise and, and just taking a look at it and going, whoa, like how many times has that specific violation impacted a decision in my life that, because they impact our decisions is what it comes back to. So when you ask, how did I, you know, create this company that from that, it literally was born from that. I didn't, I didn't have the vision at the moment, but what really happened was I had the consulting company and I was I was feeling that stir in my spirit again that reminded me that I had ignored earlier in my career that my vision was too small. And I, and only small based on my standards because I was doing well financially again. I felt comfortable. I was like, oh, amen. Thank God I'm, I've recovered. And, but then all of a sudden that little spark of there's more here. There's more people you can help. And I was pissed off at the nudge. I was like, look, I've overcome this. Like, stop it. And <laughs> back to like being different. I always had that feeling. And I know people who I get to get to know, like you, Stephanie, we've all, each one of us has that thing of like, we were different growing up. There was something we we're weird, you know, in that our own way. And I was like, oh no, here comes the weirdo distracting me. I need to stay focused. I overcame this big thing. I need to... And I realized, again, I was trying to control, you know, what the spark was. And I was, and this is crazy because I always say, okay, God, really? Like, really? Um, you're both a comedian and you make me angry too. Like, because here's what happened. I literally, um, I had, my, my dad lived in the Philippines. He had retired. He lived in the Philippines. And he, I went to go visit him at Thanksgiving. And it was out of the blue. I got this hunch that I need to go fly to the Philippines. And it was weird because I hadn't seen him over a year, but I don't know. I got this hunch and I went to visit him and I told him, because he and I would have these great conversations over coffee. And I was like, dad, I have this vision. I want to help more people. I want to help people like me, like people who overcame this and create a company through their expertise and their experience. Because my whole thing was, I realized that I had chosen the wrong business to start because I thought I couldn't take my experience and turn it into a business. So I chose another industry thinking that's what I should pursue. And I said, I actually think that if I simplified it and I helped other people do that, I think I could help a lot of people make different choices. Like even to try out, you know, consulting even is a safer route, frankly, if you leave the corporate world than it is to go and start a retail company, you know? And I was like, I think that people can create autonomous lives um, by doing this. And I want to teach people how to do it based on what I learned. And I remember my dad specifically at his coffee and he's just looked at me and he's like, Jenny, do it. What are you waiting for? And I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. So I fly back to the States and seven months, seven weeks later, my dad was dead. And um, my grandmother in 2008, she was my best friend and my mentor. And my dad was my second best friend and mentor in my life. 
those two people are the two people in my life that fully encouraged me to be me. Everybody else told me I couldn't be me except for my dad and my grandma. And my grandma is my mother's mother. Okay, not my dad's mother. So when my dad died suddenly seven weeks after I'd seen him, back to like, God is funny and also yeah. sometimes I'm mad at him or her, both. Um, <laughs> I am, I was like, oh my God, really? Okay, and I was devastated again. Um, and I found myself in a similar situation, except thank God I had more money in the bank. I didn't lose my economic piece, but I had a choice. Do I pursue this thing that's worth, is it worth pursuing or I'm good. I overcame what happened before. And I looked back at my values and I asked myself, what are you going to choose? And I was like, I can choose both and I'm going to try it. And if it doesn't work out, I'm not going to die. And, um, that's what happened. And, and what are you waiting for is the hashtag on our campus, like because of my dad and, um, and I grew the master brand Institute, which is the company that we're talking about right now that helps entrepreneurs, you know, get seen, heard and paid more for being themselves. Um, came from that. It came from that conversation with my dad seven weeks before he passed away and I really believe that tragedy does also appear to teach us the choices we can have after it. And I wouldn't have appreciated it. And it's interesting because it's created also financial prosperity for me, which I was like, I almost thought I didn't deserve that. And so that's all a whole thing I had to un unwork yeah. and do all of that work around it too. And I've, I guess finally, just even in conclusion to like the whole thing, I still have a therapist weekly, you know, like I have a weekly therapy appointment to this day. To me, it is non-negotiable. Um, it's just as important as my children almost. Um, and it's because I know how much it has supported me in unpacking when trauma appears because it's yeah. going to appear, you know, it's something's going to come up and trigger or there's going to be another life event. Even the pandemic is triggering yeah. so much for the collective us, yes. you know? And so, yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. I would love if you could share where people can find you. We're going to put all your information in the show notes, but where they can find you, how they can learn from you and how they can work with you. Yeah. Well, thanks so much. So first of all, I love Instagram. If you are an Instagram or LinkedIn, those are the two places I love to have conversations. So feel free to DM me. I would love for you to follow me at jennifer.chem on Instagram and on LinkedIn, you can just type me in and you'll find me. Um, and in terms of the, um, I would love for everyone to take the brand archetype quiz, which is our diagnostic we use on our campus for um, finding out the fullest expression of your voice in the market. Because a lot of people, their, their messaging and their confidence in their messaging is something that they're still skittish about. So I want to support your community and give them that. So I'll give you the link, uh, Stephanie, to be able to give to your community. Um, you can just go ahead and post it here. Please take it. It's a real diagnostic. It's not a for your entertainment or clickbait type of quiz. Yeah. Um, and I want to give you the full assessment because um, you can take it for free and get your dominant brand archetype. But I want to give you the full assessment that every single day people pay $250 for but I want Stephanie's community to have access to it and feel free to message me. I'll send you an email that says, Hey, you want to chat about it? Uh, and we can help you identify how to use those archetypes in your language. So 
I'll make sure that that link gets to Stephanie. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here and for sharing your journey and your wisdom. I so appreciate it. And I so appreciate you and everything you're doing. Oh, thanks, Stephanie. It's been such a pleasure. And I appreciate the work you're doing to help heal people's lives um, and help them figure out their way forward. So thanks so much for having me. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us today and for being a part of this powerful community of purpose-driven individuals. We have a ton of free resources for you at www.talesfromthejourney.tv slash free, including access to an eight-week sampler of our renowned journey mapping program. That gives you instant access to impactful training lessons, life-changing exercises, and our signature AccuSesh processes that you can implement immediately. We'd love your help in getting the message out and growing our community, so please take a moment to share this episode, subscribe to the podcast, and leave us a review on iTunes. I'll catch you in the next episode.